Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 79. I am your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we are excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed and award-winning comic book writer, Erica Schultz. Erica. Wow, what an intro. Look at that, see? <laughs> um, oh, my so God. I, I got to word before, you, before we went on the air, I was, I was telling you that I've been, you know, you know, fo- you know following your Kickstarter. Stalking. Uh, Stuck and and listening to all these other podcasts that you've been on. So stalking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna make sure that I'm not gonna ask all this you know all the same questions. So I'm gonna um, uh, uh, keep keep things lively as well. So because you're here to talk to us about your latest Kickstarter, um, Deadly Bouquet, which yes. is uh, you still you got days left and you're I think what the last check you're at. You know, I'm not, I am not endlessly refreshing. Right. Yes. Yeah. I am not endlessly refreshing for good or for ill. Yeah. uh, Because I do have a lot of work that I have to do. So I keep thinking, like, oh, just go do your work and then this way. And then I I have, uh, you know, weekly, sometimes more than one time a week, uh, calls with my editor, James Emmett. And uh, James has been endlessly refreshing. <laughs> so, so I don't want there to be like a competition of like, who refreshes next? <laughs> you know, at this point, it's like, look, let's be frank. I'm asking strangers on the internet for money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and- it's just a matter of like, look, I have credits. You, you either like my stuff or you don't like my stuff. You either want to take a chance or you don't take a chance. I'm hoping that you take a chance. But... Right, yeah. and you have, and like I said, so 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 yeah, deadly deadly bouquet. I mean, it's it's, it's deadly it's, bouquet. Actually, technically, a uh, romance novel that was written, I think, in twenty twelve. Uh-huh. This is the deadliest bouquet. The, the deadliest. That's right. I don't okay. want any trademark issues. I don't want some, you know, septuagenarian coming after me for royalties or anything right. like that. It's the deadliest bouquet. And you'd figure after listening to all your pocket, I would have gotten that sh- right this sh- straight away. It's so right. yeah, <laughs> I still don't know if it's bouquet or bouquet, depending on you know whoever is saying it. So I'm just like, whatever. Right, right. And it's so a book about three sisters with flower names who kick serious ass and try to solve their mom's murder. Right, and so yeah, you have so this was this was a, a story that you've 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 kind of had in the hopper. You know, you've been thinking about for a while. And it was going to go to a publisher, but then COVID happened. And then they were like, ah, I'm not quite sure if we're going to be able to do this or not. And then your Why friend, am I even here? You already know the story. I already know the story. So, and then, and your friend James, your editor said, hey, I've done Kickstarters before. So let's, let's do it. Let's do it on a Kickstarter. But this isn't your first Kickstarter, right? I uh, know this the first Kickstarter that I did was for a book called Strange Tales with Claire Connolly. Uh, it was an anthology of three stories, uh, two of the stories we had previously done. Um, and uh, a third story was a new story. So we were uh, kickstarting for a, uh, a fund to pay the colorists because the two previous stories were black and white to mm. colorize them and to also print it all together. Uh, and it actually was uh, nominated for a Rango Award last year for Best Anthology. Right. 
And and also too, it technically it says you have three backing, but one of them was you accidentally hit the deadliest bouquet yes, button. Yes, I was a little I was a little over anxious. Yeah. And I hit the button to launch. I thought it was the pre-launch, and it launched. And then I frantically texted James, and then frantically called him, and it would turned into this whole big thing. And then I had to text all my friends who had it immediately backed it. To, you know, cancel your pledge, cancel your pledge. Ah! <laughs> And it turns into this whole nightmare. And then I beat myself up for a couple of days about how idiotic I was. And then as I'm beating myself up, I've get getting emails and texts of support of, oh yeah, I totally screwed that up when I did my first Kickstarter. So apparently it is actually a common thing. <laughs> and then I beat myself up for not being unique. Right. So there See, you go. So it's all you just, right. you know, consistent self-deprecation, you know, what can you do? And is that, and is, is that part, you know, is that, is that covered in, you know, Gregory Pock's book about, you know, accidentally hitting the, the go launch button? It probably is. Uh, I, I, I did a, I, I read it very, very thoroughly for strange tales. Yeah. I skimmed it for this. I probably should have read it thoroughly again. Uh, I did not. And that is my own bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I will stand by Greg's book um, and I've said it before, it will either empower you or it will scare the hell out of you. And right. if it scares the hell out of you, that's good though, because right. it means you're not ready. And if you're not ready, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna have the stamina to do 4,000 podcasts <laughs> and answer the same questions over, over and, and over again. and over. Um, a friend of mine was very funny the other day. He said, um, he said, yeah, I watched you on one of these podcasts and it was amazing seeing you smile. And I was like, of course I'm smiling because I'm asking strangers for money. Right. If, it, if I was really doing this, I would just be like. <laughs> Go on. You like No it. makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Don't blow out my hair. But let's be honest. I'm a woman, so I have to wear makeup. I have to have my hair all nicely done and smoothed out. I can't have any of my weird kinky curls or anything like that. Like you know, we we've got to we've got to uh, you know abide by society's norms. Well, and it's and and so so talk to us a bit about like uh, the actually uh, the deadly bouquet. Um, you're you you have a great logline for it, and and I'm sure yes. you have it memorized by now. I do. In 1998, three estranged sisters, trained by their Nazi hunting mother, reunite to solve their mother's murder and try not to kill each other in the process. <laughs> and so, so talk to so it's it's it, what do you have? Yeah, yeah, it's it's three. It's Rose, Poppy, and Violet. Yes, three sisters, and you have. Uh, and, and, and you mentioned a previous interview as well as that the that all three of them kind of have their own separate lives. They all kind of do this and now they have to kind of come together and they're basically kind of reverting back into how their, you know, how their um, sibling hierarchy happens. Yeah. Every, every family has a hierarchy. I mean, that's right. just, <clears throat> that's, that's a natural thing where you have right. society, you have a hierarchy, you have a family, you have a hierarchy. And when you are, uh, when you are of multiple siblings, there will be a hierarchy. It's usually the oldest at top and then, you know, going down from there. And, um, and you know, Violet, who is the youngest, has been off doing her own thing for a couple of years now. She doesn't want to have to come back and listen to her older sisters tell her that she's wrong or, you know, 
tell her what to do. Rose, despite staying with mom, she's got her own life. She's got everything that she needs to worry about. Uh, she knows what she needs to do. The last thing she needs to do is worry about Violet, you know, being a loose cannon and doing something or Poppy freaking out about something and being dramatic. And Poppy left, had her own life. She has her husband, she has kids. The last thing she wants to think about is, great, if I bring my, my family into, you know, if I bring my nuclear family into my siblings, then my husband is going to really learn how dysfunctional uh, my family life was. Um, he knows that there's some dysfunction, but he has no idea the the, the lengths to which it, it has gone, um, where it comes down to being trained for murder and espionage and, and all these other things, as opposed to just, oh yeah, I had a single mom and she was a little weird. Right, yeah. You know? And and so and you you decided to have it take place in 1998 for uh, you know for one issue that you, you you mentioned earlier is because it's so easy for people to get on a phone and kind of sell, you know find answers right away. So the fact that 1998 you had the block phones, it was you couldn't really you couldn't text. You didn't you have internet on the phones. You couldn't right. text on the phones. You couldn't get any of that stuff. And even the amount of people that had the brick phones. Yeah. Um, there were so few people that had the brick phones. It was either something for the ultra, ultra rich, or it was something for people who, okay, we'll have like one phone for each, we'll be on a family plan. And it's just because God forbid you you get into an accident, taking the kids to school, that kind of thing. Right. But the majority of the people that had them, like, first of all, there wasn't a majority of people that had them. You know, there were very, very few. Um, and, and secondly, um, it needed to, in terms of the time, uh, uh, just, you know, looking at linear time, it needed to be able to fit, uh, uh, plausibly with when world war II started and ended. Right. And so, right. And so, so I got my, my question for you about that. Cause you know, as we, before we went on the air, yeah. It's like a year between us or so. And it's like, so was there, besides the technology aspect of it, how much of it was based off of like a nostalgia of late 90s um, that you personally wanted to kind of revisit? Well, I wanted it to be a time that I knew I was comfortable with, the time that right. I could uh, that I could remember comfortably. Um, but also there is a, um, it's so subtle that nobody no, nobody notices it until I actually bring it up. Um, 1998 was sort of a transition year for a lot of things, not just fashion and music and things like that, but it was the penultimate year before everybody really went crazy about Y2K. Mm -hmm. And there was a sort of strange kind of eeriness um, that sort of permeated everything. Right. Um, we, when I say we, I mean just collectively knew that there was something that there was to be scared of, but we had absolutely no idea what. And we, we, I don't think the vast majority of people really understood why. I don't think they understood, you know, like an odometer when the numbers turned that the world was going to blow up, you know, kind of thing. And we were all sort of looking to Australia to see, you know, Australia wiped off the map, you know, when to, then when the year 2000 came. Right. Um, so there was this weird sort of, um, um, eeriness about that. And everybody kind of acted a little strange and everyone, I'm not going to say was paranoid, but there was a, 
a sort of an extra inch or two when you were keeping someone at bay. Right. And once I bring that up and then someone rereads it, they're like, oh yeah, now I, now I see what it was. Originally it was just like, there's something weird about it, but they couldn't put their finger on it. And when I say I made this conscious effort to do this, then it's like, oh yeah, then it clicks. Um, people who are younger obviously won't uh, really understand that because they didn't fully experience it. Right. Um, people that were really young, like, you know, my nieces and my nephews might not really understand it because they were kids, but people more our age would, because we were, I mean, we're thinking about, we were in college or you were graduating college. You know, it's, it's something that, that kept stuck in your head. This idea of like, am I going to lose my emails? I'm going to lose my job. Like I just graduated college. What, you know, how's that going to affect things? And, you know, so you, you kind of had this idea of like, my life is just starting. Right. Um, is it now going to be over? <laughs> but yeah, I'm not um, going to be on a plane on midnight. That's for sure. Well, yeah, that was, that was a big thing. That was genuinely, that was a huge right. uh, fear that people would say, like people yeah. thought there were going to be EMPs and people thought like that everything was going to shut down. And it was this big thing of like, don't be on an airplane, be like locked in your room kind of thing. I remember my mom being really pissed at me for going to a new year's Eve party. Um, at a friend of a friend. So it's not even somebody that she knew it was, I'm going to so-and-so's house and then we're going to another party. And she was a little wary of it because she's like, well, you know, what town are you going to be in? And you know, blah, 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 blah. And this and the next. And it's like, mom, I'm 22 years old. I'll be fine. But I mean, we still, we didn't know why the, why we needed to be worried, why we needed to be scared. Um, But, but there was this sort of like, uneasiness. And when Mm. things are uneasy, people are either going to be super cautious or they're going to throw all caution to the wind. Right. And so, and so, so, you know, with, with that said, when you, when you kind of sat down and you, uh, you you incubate, you know, you're thinking about the storyline and putting it together. Um, was the time like, uh, the year of that, the, the, for that, was that, you said near the beginning or was it near the end? Because you did say also that you did, this was kind of like a three act thing originally where you're going to have like world war two, then it was going to be the 1950s and then this. And uh, what was, my um, yeah. uh, was there a question really? in there? I, <laughs> I guess like, as like how, 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 how specific was, as they said, like the backdrop of 1998 uh, integral to the, this part of the story. Originally, it wasn't because originally we were going to start in World War II. Right. Um, but once uh, James and I really sat down, uh, because as you'd heard on every other podcast, I've said I, I attacked the story from multiple angles and I, right. I couldn't really find a, um, a clear path. And um, <clears throat> once we really sat down and James really started, you know, digging through everything and, and finding, you know, the, the, the crisp story, the thing that you could tell that everybody's going to know what's going on. Um, it was okay. We're going to do, we're going to start in the nineties because those characters seem to be a little more fleshed out. Their personalities were a little more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I figured, okay, well that obviously is a starting point. Cause when you write a story, you start with either your characters or plot or your world. So that was a starting point. The world I mostly had because it's, you know, real world. Right. So that was mostly sort of in there. The only thing I did was sort of fudge the uh, 
the 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 area of uh, of New Jersey. Right. Um, but aside from that, the world, it, you know, gravity exists. You're not dealing with magic or or anything too crazy like that. Um, and then it comes down to what's the plot. Um, and so, I I worked out more who these sisters were, their relationship to each other, their relationship to each to their uh, mom. And, you know, that attitude that they had was very 90s. Right. You know, this kind of devil may care, especially on Violet's side. Uh, but even, you know, Poppy and Rose still have a little bit of that. You know, each sister is is kind of the same, but one is dialed one direction, the other is dialed another. Right. You know, Rose is pretty much, you know, middle of the road. She can have her, you know, Violet moments and she can have her poppy moments, but she's pretty middle of the road. Whereas Violet is like all the way, you know, loose cannon and Poppy is all the way, you know, the one, you know, huddled in the basement kind of thing, you know, on New Year's Eve. Right. And like, and so, but you know, the, you know, it's kind of like what you said earlier, it, it takes place in 98 but they are children of the eighties and the seventies yeah. because that's when they grew up. So they have their references are going to be based off of, you know, some of that. So it's, it's interesting. It's the same thing. Like when you write about somebody living in their eighties right now, it may be 2021, but they're still, they're back in the forties. They're back in the forties. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, so, so with that said, um, cause you, originally, um, originally, as you said, this was supposed to be like a you're you're kind of selling it to publishers as a five issue miniseries. Yeah, I mean, usually when it comes to to pitching something, um, right. publishers like sort of manageable bites, yeah. and a five issue, uh, four to five issues makes a nice trade paperback. Is what it basically comes down to. Um, so it was going to be a five issue miniseries. And the idea was you're going to touch on the other two planned arcs. And then, you know, if something happens and we get the chance to return to these, uh, to these characters, then we can always sort of flesh out one of these other two arcs more because, you know, once the world, once the sisters are fleshed out and Jasmine is more fleshed out, you can then just add to it. You're not starting from whole cloth anymore. And even Grandma Dahlia has been somewhat fleshed out as well. So you're not starting from scratch. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, if we have the opportunity to return to them, then great. Uh, if not, then what the plan is, is to just have a you know, five chapter, because we're doing an OGN as opposed to five individual issues, right. to just have a five chapter OGN, original graphic novel that can stand alone. Right. You know, so it shows that there there's still past information, there's still past events that um, the reader has not been completely exposed to, but what they have been exposed to has a clear beginning, a middle and end. So, cause as you said, this is like a, you're, you work, you know, full-time as a writer. So you have projects that are your like paid to do like, this is like, and then this is kind of like a passion, kind of like your, this is your kind of independent, kind of like this passion project you've been working on. Um, how, I guess, you know, from, from the writers that, that, that watch and listen to that, how do you either differentiate from uh, energy put into it as uh, compared to 
um, work you're hired to do as compared to things that you are kind of like, this is my, this is my thing. And I really want to get this. How do you split up the day? How do you split up the energy for that kind of stuff? Well, it depends. I mean, um, I mean, everybody has their, their own way of splitting up, uh, you know, time. Uh, when I first went freelance full-time as a writer, um, and I left the studio that I was working at, um, I reached out to another writer friend of mine, uh, a writer named Eric Burnham, and Eric has been full-time freelance for a very long time. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, you know, what do you, what should you do? Mm. You know, what, what, what is considered a full day's work? kind right. of thing. Um, and, you know, obviously it's different for every, for every person. Um, and obviously you will have your whole day planned out and then something will come up and, you know, everything goes to hell. Right. Um, but his, his advice to me was uh, whatever active projects you have. So if you're working on say two work for hire projects, make sure that you write um five script pages on each project. And you're usually, I mean, full-time projects, you're usually juggling, you know, anywhere from two to four, depending on how busy you are. So that was the thing, you know, and cause those five pages can take you three hours or it can take you 10 hours. Right. It really depends. Um, but try to hit that goal. Mm. And, and that was, and there are days that I'll write way more than five pages. And there are days that I'll barely write three. Right. Um, but that, that was always the goal. Um, and yes, there are work for hire projects that I'm, that I'm doing uh, both with editing and with, uh, and with writing, but this still, I mean, I, I still keep a deadline for, uh, for creator-owned projects, um, and even and a lot of my creator-owned projects were not self-published. They were published through another uh, uh, through a publisher. Twelve Devils Dancing was uh, through Action Lab Danger Zone. Um, Forgotten Home right. was through Comicsology Originals. So I try to still keep uh, a monthly schedule for it, not just for for myself and 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 for the routine, but also for the artist because, you know you want them to be able to count on a paycheck, mm -hmm. you know, is what it comes down to. Um, when you're, when you're commissioned for lack of a better term to do a project, whether you're the writer, the artist or whatever, basically what they are asking is I'm asking you to be willing for money to block out X amount of months mm. of your schedule. Um, and Obviously, uh, sort of the freelancer's conundrum is feast or famine. So, you know, when you're a freelancer, 90% of the time you say yes to everything and then you want to strangle yourself later because, you know, you're up to your eyeballs and stuff. Um, but with an artist, you know, 90% of the time they're working on one project. So I want to make sure that I keep up a good pace. So Carola Borelli, who is the line artist, and Gab Contreras, who's the colorist, they have consistent work coming. Right. Um, because when you're sort of when you're when you're pacing out a comic you want to make sure that the writer is working on something the artist is working on something and the colorist is working on something and the letter is working you don't want there to be a bottleneck right. and invariably there will because emergencies come up and someone has to take a week off because someone's ill or whatever i mean that happens i you know i don't live in the fantasy world 
but you try to plan it as best as you can so there wouldn't be a bottleneck. And so everybody isn't rushed, but they have like a nice consistent flow to get through. So I'm, I've currently finished a, a decent draft of issue four. I know that um, James has notes on it, so I'm gonna have to go back. Uh, but the first chapter is absolutely complete. Colors, letters, everything. The second chapter has got all the line work done. Gab is finishing up the colors. All the lettering is already done. The third chapter, Corolla's done all the layouts, is starting on the the um, the line work and the script is completely done. Fourth chapter, pretty damn close. Fifth chapter, already hard outline. Right. You know, so I'm working at a pace to make sure that they are still have a steady flow of work. Um, and then, you know, J then James will come back with some edits and then, you know, we go back, we make whatever revisions need to be made and then keep going. Hmm. And so like you, you, you mentioned before, you know, you mentioned earlier too, uh, that, you know, that you have, uh, uh, uh Corolla, Corella, Carolla. Corella Borelli. Yeah, Corella Borelli, um, and and Gab Contreras, but also your uh, your 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 good friend James, um, who's helping you edit that. So my my question my question is, did you, since you know that all of them, you've worked with them in the past, did you, do you still say like, listen, you know, James, I know we know we, we know each other. I still need to have a contract. Are you like, hey, handshake, we'll just get this going? How what would be your how would how did that go about? Um, it, it really it depends. Um yeah. it depends on who I'm working with. This is actually this is actually the first time that I'm working with Corella Brelli, uh the oh, line okay. artist. Right. Uh, I have worked with Gab before. Um James, uh James and I James used to work at a publisher that I uh was in talks to work with, but uh that fell through. Um, James also edited another uh, project of mine that um, uh, unfortunately we haven't finished, but maybe we'll get back to it. Um, but I mean, in comics, there's there's a weird casualness hmm. to comics that um, I know can get kind of, because of this sort of like nebulous nature of it, things can kind of get weird. Um, I make sure that, you know, that I'm very plain with people. I'll say, okay, look, this is uh, on your end as the, you know, line artist, colorist, whatever, uh, you know, whatever role you play, this is a work for hire. Um, I have a boilerplate contract. If you want one, I can fill it out and I'll be happy to do that. Um, for the most part, everybody's just like, okay, just write it down in the email. This is my page rate. These are, you know, the, um, these are the deadlines that I hope to hit. I always try and pad a mm. week to 10 days because again, accidents happen. And of course with COVID, you know, people, you know, God forbid someone got sick with COVID right. or, you know, a parent or a relative or somebody like that, that's obviously throwing things, you know, into disarray. So I always make sure that things are kind of padded. Um, and, you know, I've been as transparent as possible with uh, all the backers and even in the sort of the risks and challenges on the um, on the Kickstarter page. I've said, you know, God forbid something happens, we'll keep you guys abreast of the situation. But, you know, we're looking, you know, we're, you know, knock wood, we're going at a good clip. Right. Um, so if somebody wants to have it very formal, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, if somebody's fine with being a little more casual, I'm more than happy with doing that. As long as you, as long as you speak plain, 
Right. And that's basically what it is. Uh, I think this sort of back and forth of hemming and hawing about stuff, you know, just straight, say it straight up. This is the page rate. This is work for hire, or this is the page rate. Uh, we're going to split the IP, you know, 50, 50, 70, 30, whatever your numbers. Um, just put it out there. Hmm. Just be honest. It, it, trust me, it will help in the long run. Right. And, and as you, you mentioned earlier about this whole assembly line situation where it kind of starts with the writer. So you as the kind of like the project creator, the kind of the project manager on this, you're at the beginning of you're at the beginning of the line. So you can get that pace going. Has there been any situations that you've worked with uh, different teams where you as the writer still at the beginning of this there how 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 much how much um stress or relief is it to not be the kind of like the head of the project on this and just be hired to write as compared to having to manage the entire team well i mean having having been the editor on multiple projects and i'm currently an editor at mad cave studios i mean project management is part of the job so right even if I'm not the editor on a project or even if I'm not project manager on something um, and it's still just, you know, straight up work for hire, like, you know, Daredevil or, or Mandrake, um, I still, you know, worry about it because I am, if nothing but punctual, mm. you know, I, if you tell me that this is my deadline and this is just my script deadline, I'm going to want to know what the delivery date is. Mm. Um, and because I want to be able to help because I have worked every aspect of a comic. So mm -hmm. if the line artist is, you know, having trouble with something or the colorist needs a page flatted and, you know, something like that, I'll volunteer to help because I want to make sure that we as a team look good right. and that we as a team hit our deadline. Um, and so I'll say, okay, uh, your, your, your flatter got ill. You need somebody to flat pages. I'll jump on the Dropbox or, you know, the Google drive or whatever. I'll start grabbing pages. You know, you start at the beginning of the book. I'll start at the end of the book. We'll meet in the middle, mm. you know, kind of thing. I, I, I want there to be, I want us all to look good. Right. So if that means that I have to wear an extra hat, I've worn them all. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in if I have to. Um, so some, and some project managers might be like, eh, you know, pull back, you know, you're a little too eager. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I think others, I I've dealt with others that are like, oh, Jesus Christ, thank God, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, because making, you know, comics have a lot of moving parts. And if you're dealing with editor, penciler, anchor, letterer, colorist, flatter, writer, um, you know, graphic designer, whatever. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of people and right. we all know that the more people that you have to manage, the, the, the more opportunity there is for something to screw up. Mm. And then, you know, it all falls apart and then everybody stands around, you know, pointing fingers. Well, so, um, so was it, was that a conscious effort for a decision on your part to say, I'll do the lettering because you did not to have somebody else on the team or is that, or is that just something because you love to letter? How, what was... Um, it's it's a couple of things. One, I'm a control freak. <laughs> I, I frankly, I'll admit that. Um, two, when I've worked with uh, when I've worked with other letterers, they've been perfectly fine, competent, very good. Right. Um, 
but whenever there needs to be a change, there's an extra step. Whereas, you know, if James, you know, who is a master of grammar and proper placement of commas says, oh, there needs to be a comma here. Instead of him telling me, me telling the letterer, the letterer going back to the page, making the change, putting it back in the Dropbox, me grabbing it. Blah, 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 blah. No, just tell me, boom, done. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I try to, to, to lessen the amount of people um, involved simply because it, I think it, I think when you work on a smaller team, yes, control is, is gonna sound as a disparaging word in this, in this context, but it's easier to not only control the team and you know, sort of control the deadlines, but also to control the products. Right. Um, so, I mean, we've got Kevin Wada, our fantastic cover artist. We've got Coral on the line art. We've got Gab on colors. Uh, Sheffel is doing the um, uh, the flats for Gab. Um, James is doing edits. I'm throwing down the letters and then putting the book together and, and in doing all sort of the production work and stuff like that, um, as well as um, Elaine Grace, Grace doing the fabulous, you know, print that we also have uh, on the Kickstarter. Um, but it's a lot easier to sort of, you know, keep track of everybody. It's like, how, okay, how many fingers do I have? How many people do I have? You know, kind of thing. Uh, it's a lot easier to keep track of everybody when there are fewer people. And like I said, I mean, I've, I've worn all the hats. If I need to jump in and do something else, it's what it's part of the job, you know? Right. Yeah. And do you see, uh, so, so I'm curious about for the lettering. Is that, is that something that, uh, you use through like Photoshop or what no, you, you, you don't, you don't letter in Photoshop. Um, okay. uh, there's, there are a couple of things, and this is where I'm going to, people are going to think I'm stuck up, but <laughs> we're being real here. Um, there are a couple of things that I can spot right off the bat. Um, you know, amateur lettering one, if somebody works in Photoshop, hmm. Two, if somebody does something called football balloons, where you just sort of make a circle and they just a squash it, and it looks kind of like a football or rugby, um, that's another sort of amateur mistake. Um, I consistently tell people, hire a letterer. Hire an actual, real, competent letterer, not somebody who just says, oh, yeah, I, I can do Photoshop, because you don't letter in Photoshop. You letter in Illustrator. Oh, okay. So if somebody says, oh, I lettered in Photoshop already, now, I know a lot of people who letter in Photoshop because they do web comics. That's great. Do you ever plan on printing those web comics? Because if you do, you might want to letter in Illustrator. The vector, because it's like vector-based. is the Vector versus a raster base, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I Because, yeah, because even if you do 300 DPI on your Photoshop, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's still most, not going to Most printers, 300 DPI is the absolute minimum, absolute right. minimum. I don't go below... 400 or 450 depending some uh publishers even want 600 a lot of publishers want line art in 600 they want some some want color in 600 some want colors at 450 um but also 600 um yeah you don't no you don't don't let her in photoshop <laughs> please don't and and like i said i'm gonna sound stuck up and i know a lot of people are on a budget and i get that but you know you can find a competent letterer for relatively inexpensive as long as they don't have to do all the production work is you know if you look online take a course if you want to do it yourself there's uh the Kubert school has an online lettering course i used to teach an online lettering course at comics experience so i mean 
you can you can find if you want to do it yourself take a course hmm. uh there's a million and one uh nate uh I, I don't know if you pronounce his name picos or picos from uh from blambot he does a bunch right. of tutorials on youtube go yeah. watch watch the tutorials yeah. um but if you letter your own stuff um bad lettering really can sink a book hmm. um yeah. and and i'm you know, like I said, I'll own it being stuck up with that. But if I'm reading a book and the lettering is bad, I'm I'm more likely to just kind of put it to the side. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> it's like bad CGI in a film. You're like, yeah, it's just not the same. What it's it's one of these things where with lettering, if if it's bad, it's noticeable. If it's good, you don't notice it. Right. You know, you don't want your lettering to really stand out unless you're doing this like, you know, big sort of splash page, big, you know, crack a -thum, you know, explosion kind of thing. You don't want your lettering to stand out, especially just dialogue, you know, just the regular flow of dialogue. You don't want people to go, oh, that kind of looks weird. Or I don't know where my eye is supposed to go. Right. You don't want that. Um, so following in like the Z pattern as you're reading the yeah as, well I always say like the backwards S because you sort of like loop around yeah but I mean that's that's exactly what it is and you know a good letterer uh, I I've seen stories um, lately that the artist I don't think the artist has done a lot of sequential artwork because the flow of the panels really is is very sort of all over the place. Um, so a good letterer is going to, you know, help in that is going to basically tell the reader, your eye is going to go from here to here, to here, to here, you know, um, and, and that's important. That's definitely important. And, um, because you don't want to read something at, you don't want to, to work when you're reading, you want to be able to enjoy it and you want it to be effortless and you want to just be able to, um, engage in the in the story in the artwork in the in you know the characters and everything you don't want to have to sit there and go oh, wait, oh did i did i read that you know you don't want to do that because that takes you out right you want to be immersed and stay there until you know you flip that last page right i just yeah there was like for instance like you have making sure that you're very clear that if it's like a two-pager that it reads as a two-pager instead of oh as a spread to, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so my next question for you is that because you say you do, you also wear the hat of an editor. Uh, so is it your advice that even though you, that if somebody is an editor and a writer, do one or the other on a project, not both? Um, I think everybody needs a separate editor. Okay. I do. Um, because as, as creators, when you're in the creator role, you're very myopic and mm -hmm. you are simply focused on the story that you want to tell and the story that's been percolating in your head for however long yeah. that um, because everything makes sense to you and all the, the, the pieces connect in your head, that you need that objective uh, person to come in and say, yeah, the, they might connect in your head because you've been living it with it for three years, right. but to the outside person, it doesn't connect. We need to we need to build a bridge here. Where there needs to be some tendon that gets us from A to B. Right. So I think that everybody needs an editor, even if you work as an editor. One thing that I always say is, um, I I edit books I would never want to write. <laughs> um, no, but I I do that because 
I, I don't want to step into, I don't want to overstep my bounds with the writer. Right. Um, I will edit a book that I have no desire to write and just simply help, um, help the writer get to where they need to go. You know, when I edit a book, I'll, I'll say to the writer, okay, what's our, what's our goal? Okay. Like, what is the story you want to tell? And then I'm basically the bumpers. Like when, you know, when you were a little kid and you played uh, bowling and had the bumpers, yeah. <clears throat> I'm basically the bumpers. I need, I'm, my job is to keep you on that path. And if your initial story idea is all over the place, my job is to help you find a path. And then once we have a nice clear path, my job is to keep you there. Right. And, um, and, and I mean, and James will attest to this. An editor is part, you know, writer, part grammar, grammarist, part therapist, you know, you get, and I've written these emails, you know, right. nothing's working. You know, my brain isn't working or I've received those emails. My brain isn't working. And it's your job to basically say, all right, take a step back, take a deep breath. Let's figure this out. Right. Let's break down. Let's, let's, let's break down the situation. Um, and, and then try and work through it. So I, you know, help you find a path. And then once the path is found, keep you on it. Mm. So like, basically you have, you know, your advice too, is like for every writer needs a James in their life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and there are different types of editors. There are right. editors that are story editors. They're the ones that are going to help you find the path. There are editors that are more or less just proofreaders. Um, so they're going to let you have as much rope as you want to hang you with, but your commas are going to be in the right place. Mm -hmm. um, I, I prefer somebody who's like James, who uh, can see the path. I mean, James is a fine artist himself. James has worked in sequential art as well. James uh, where, has worked in comics for many years um, and he's seen it from both the creator side and the, uh, the editorial side. So he has a lot of experience, um, you know, bringing to the table. And so getting an editor like James, I think is important. If you only have a story editor, then that's fine too. But I would then have a proofreader. So, cause the proofreader, proofreader sort of copy editor, their job is basically to look, you know, you know, that's not a complete sentence or use a comma here, or you missed a word or blah, 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 whatever. So if you don't have a James, then get yourself a story editor and then a proofreader. Right. Yeah. But if you have a James, then you know, then you're golden. <laughs> you're golden. <laughs> and you're golden. So let's let's chat a bit about your. Uh, I'm gonna turn my light on just because it's getting a little dark in here. Yeah. East Coast. Let's... Yeah, we're both in the East Coast, so yeah. There we go. There we go. All right. So let's chat a bit about 80% funded. Wow. Okay. See? All right. Getting there. So moving so right along. Moving right along. So let's can we let's let's chat about your uh your 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 tiers. So so for people that are that are listening and watching and um uh and and are interested in being a part of this, uh do you want us to kind of go through a bit of the some of the tier levels you have on here? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we can, we'll do the infomercial. We have a tier for all of your budgets. <laughs> We've got the dollar tier, which is simply a thank you. That will be not only in the digital version, but also printed in the book. 
Then we have the $15 tier, which is for a DRM-free digital copy of the book, as well as your name printed in the book. Um, then we've got, uh, we had a, an early bird special, uh, which is a print copy of the book. And then you get, you know, the thank you, but also the, um, the digital copy. Um, and, uh, uh, we had 42 early bird specials where you would also get a pin. Oh, wow. Um, okay. that was the early bird. Okay. Yes. So that went oh, already. Right. Uh, and then we still have, you know, ready for the field is what it's called. And that's the, uh, the physical copy of the book. Yeah. Plus, you know, your digital copy and your thank you. Um, we've uh, we've got some other digital rewards, uh, some other number one books that I've uh, written, like M3. We've got um, a temporary tattoo because uh, the character Violet has a uh, floral tattoo on her arm of a uh, purple violet, a red poppy and a yellow rose. Right. So we've got like a temporary tattoo for that. Um, We've got a uh, fabulous print by uh, Elaine Grace. We've got a uh, grab bag, which uh, this was an idea I kind of stole from uh, Jimmy Palmiotti uh, a couple of years ago. I had seen him doing a Kickstarter where it was sort of like a blind bag and we did it for, um, for Strange Tales as well. Mm. Uh, this idea of like, okay, so you're gonna get uh, another number one that another comic that I've done. So right. it could be Mandrake, it could be Charmed, it could be Xena or whatever. Um, and uh, that'll be part of sort of the blind box. Okay. Um, we also have, when well, we have the print, uh, we also have, um, <clears throat> uh, we have uh, these fabulous journals that would be made by a company called Danique, okay. which does, which they print, um, custom journals. This is the latest one. I literally just started yesterday. Uh, it's oh, got wow. the cover from uh, Forgotten Home number seven uh, that was drawn by um, Natasha Alterici. And it's the homage to Daredevil 181 by Frank Miller. Oh, wow. So um, we have custom, we're going to have custom journals made um, with the fabulous Kevin Water cover. Um, we also have a retailer uh, tier um, for... Okay. Uh, where, you know, your store will get a thank you and you'll get multiple copies, obviously, so you can sell them. And uh, we've got, we the tier that we had to get drawn in the book, we only had three of those because, you know, you don't want, you know, poor Corolla to have to sit there and draw, right. you know, 900 <laughs> likenesses. Uh, that went gone. quick. And then yeah. uh, we also had, the last tier was pretty much, you get bit of everything and um, I'm gonna do a script review. And you said you'd done that one and I'm warning you that I am I am fair. Right. I am truthful, but I am fair. That's good. So yeah. I can be I can be harsh, but I am definitely very fair. And I, I'm not one of those people that will just say it sucks. I will give you a reason why it sucks if it sucks. <laughs> and I'll tell and not only that, but I'll tell you how to make it better. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And so I so I want to ask so so I'm I'm intrigued because you have this isn't your own this isn't your your sole uh uh, uh IP like the, your own creation because you also as you said M3 was also your uh, um, M3 I is is my uh co-created story with Vicente Alcazar yeah. Forgotten Home right. uh 12 Devils Dance. I had a copy of 12 oh. Devils here somewhere. 12 Devils Dancing, uh, Strange Tales, and uh, is uh, co created IP with uh, Claire Connolly. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've done a, a good amount of uh, creator-owned work as well. Um, I mean, if somebody wants to make an animated so story about Claire and uh, the story that Claire and I did about Winston Churchill or, you know, Cheese, a love story, or Eve the Immortal Lobster, we will happily have a conversation about that. So do you have any, so I get, I'm just curious, do you put in like a little Easter eggs for people that are fans and readers of your other work? Like anything from Forgotten Home <laughs> M3 that maybe in the background or maybe a, a side reference of a something on the radio in the background or- There, um, Forgotten Home has, I think, the most Easter eggs. Okay. Um, there is a scene in the first- five or six pages where they're in this uh, young boy's room and he's got posters and stuff all over the walls. And uh, on the walls, there is an M3 poster. There is a poster of uh, the character of Aisha from mm. 12 Devils Dancing. Uh, there is a poster of Gardner, which is the colorist, James, uh, Matt Emmons character. So there's a Gardner poster. And then there's also another piece, Marie Cacresta, who's the art, who's the line artist. Um, there's a character that she created as a poster. And then in another uh, character's bedroom, uh, there is a poster of the character of Callum from 12 Devils Dancing. And then another poster of uh, Ray Anthony Height, who's a fantastic artist and creator. Um, Ray, uh, I inked some of Ray's work, you know, a million years ago on Midnight Tiger. So there's the character of Gavin from Midnight Tiger also on this young woman's wall. Okay. And so is there, have you ever thought of like some sort of like, you know, like, you know, say for instance, like uh, the, the Erica Schultz averse, is there like, a, is it like a shared universe at all? Is there no. any? No, no. I mean, separate? it's not, it's not a shared universe. Um, M3, it, 12 Devils Dancing and, uh, and um, uh, yeah, I would say, uh, M3, 12 Devils Dancing, and the Deadliest Bouquet can live in the same universe because they're all real world stuff. Right. Um, Forgotten Home lives in a completely different universe. Um, Cheese and Churchill are their own universes, <laughs> as is uh, Eve the Immortal Lobster, right. uh, which is literally a story about space lobsters. Um, so, I mean, I, there's, there's not like one, it's not like crossover from Donny Cates, uh, in, in, in image, like there's, there's pretty much everybody has their own universe. And I think I have to think of it as, as each individual project, right? Okay. Um, because I don't want past work to start influencing, you know, like right. I, if I, if I put, uh, you know, if Callum Cooper, who's the FBI agent in 12 Devils Dancing, was the character who was chasing down M3, it would have been a completely different story. Right, okay. So when I wrote M3, I was I was singularly focused on that story. Right. And then, you know, writing 12 Devils, yes, there's still an FBI agent in that, Callum Cooper, but I wanted to make sure that the story focused on something completely different because the stories are different. One story, I mean, they're both technically redemption stories, right. but one focuses on, uh, redemption from uh you know something that you did as a child versus redemption from what you something that you do as an adult hmm. yeah. so 
That's 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 interesting. Have you ever had like after the fact, after a project's over, have you ever had like a artist come in and say, I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of added in my own Easter egg for something of a previous project I did, or is that would that that's I, I would be fine with that. I oh, mean, yeah. um what a lot of times happens is uh artists will like instead of drawing a bunch of stuff for you know, background, like, like I have a lot of art on my walls in the background. It's, you know, right. if, if this, if an artist was drawing this, those would just be blank frames. Right. And, um, you know, if the colorist had, you know, I would usually just tell the colorist to just put a tone or something in it. Um, but if we have that opportunity, then yeah, then I said to, you know, um, to Marika and Matt, especially in the, in the, uh, idea of a uh, forgotten home, I said, look, you know, we have these empty frames. This is a kid's bedroom. You know, let's put some posters up. Give me some stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to put up posters of uh, Spider-Man or anything like that. I don't want to get sued by anybody. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I own IP. They have their own stuff. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I will happily you know, showcase some stuff. I mean, I, I reached out to, to Ray, to Ray Anthony and I said like, Hey, you know, I've got this blank poster in a, a 14 year old girl's bedroom. Do you mind if I throw Gavin up there? Yeah. Um, you know, Midnight Tiger. Fantastic. I mean, I would always ask the right, permission yeah. of the person, obviously. I mean, right. I'm not just going to sort of blindside them um, <laughs> because, well, I mean, because even if it's like a flattering thing at the same time, maybe the subject matter of the character or the subject matter of the book is not something they would endorse. Right. So you don't want to have them you know, be in that weird position of like, yeah, you're my friend, but I, I don't want to endorse like a horror book with nudity or something like 12 right. devils is, is a horror book and there is nudity in it. And I, and I always mentioned to people, yes, there's nudity in this and the, that's a body horror and things like that. So you yeah. want to want to be like, Hey, by the way, I put your, you know, your YA story in a poster and you know, there's a dead body next to it. Like you don't, you don't want to do that. So I, I would always ask permission. Um, Liana Kangas is another person who I said, Hey, do you have any like cool, like just graphic art or something I could like throw up on somebody's wall kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it just comes down to like, you want to make sure that they're okay with their stuff being in that environment, but also being part of the theme of the book. So if it's yeah. something that they're like not really into, then, you know, don't, don't make things weird. Like don't put your friends in an awkward position. Right. Um, so always ask first, I would say. Cool. Well, this is great. So thank you very much, Erica. And so where can people find you? Would be Erica Schultz writes. Is that the best? Um, Erica Schultz writes W R I T E S is okay. my website. Uh, Erica Schultz 42 is my handle on Twitter and Erica Schultz writes is my handle on Instagram. Okay. Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter. I'm sort of on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been trying to be better on Instagram. Um, and uh, if you want to follow The Deadliest Bouquet, the uh, Twitter for it is deadly underscore bouquet. And on Instagram, it's The Deadliest Bouquet comic. Um, and as you can see, my website, writer of stuff, creators of things, uh, I've got a thanks page from our um, Strange Tales. I also have a shop where you can go and you can pick up any of my previous work. So Xena, oh, cool. Charmed, M3, Forgotten Home, uh, Revenge, Daredevil, you know, whatever, whatever I still have in stock in the closet in the corner, you know, kind of <laughs> thing. Uh, 12 Devils Dancing, got that too. So um, 
so yeah, so, and there's links for both digital um, comiXology as well as, uh, as you know, send me an email and I will, you know, send me an email, send me money, I will sign and mail you a book. Right. So perfect. Yeah. yeah. And so, so really excited for the deadliest bouquet. Thank you so much, Erica. And thank it's you for a, backing it. Yeah. And this it's been a genuine pleasure. Uh, chatting. I look forward you. to tearing apart your script. Yeah. <laughs> not as fancy as some of the other ones where they already have everything pre-plugged in. So I do a lot of stuff off of don't, it. Don't so. get, don't get podcast envy. It's okay. I've been <laughs> on all kinds of podcasts from the good ones to the shit ones to whatever. <laughs> I've been on them all. Well, I, I think this will be a, a happy medium, right? Right in between. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll I, see. I mean, the one good thing about being on so many podcasts right now is that I have a really like, the production value i've been exposed to like the infomercial to the uh uh in your mom's basement literally <laughs> to the like super fancy alex ross you know kind of thing animation right. and all of that you know so i've 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 seen it all mm -hmm. good <laughs>